Hope you didn't eat too much sweets. <laughs> if you have your uh, Bible, please open it to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 today. As I said earlier, today is the first Sunday of the Advent season for the Christian church. And the Advent is all about expectation and anticipation of the incarnation of Christ, the coming of the Savior. It's a time for the church to reflect upon the true meaning and purpose of Christmas and even life <coughs> itself. Now, however, in our culture, we are often too busy to reflect on things like this because you know, we have family trips, we have family drama, we have projects and Christmas shopping and kids' schedules, so we're, we're busy. A lot of us are. And we need to slow down just for a moment, which requires us to take a step back from our life. The Advent challenges you to take a step back from your life in order for you to reflect upon the coming life of someone else. You see, because in the life of this person, your life finds life. Because without this person, there is no life for you. For in this person, your whole life can become an advent. I found this quote online this week as I was preparing this sermon. It says, Life is a, a constant advent season. We are continually waiting to become, to discover, to complete to fulfill hope, struggle, fear, expectation, and fulfillment are all part of our Advent experience. The world is not as just, not as loving, not as whole as we know it could and should be. But the coming of Christ, his presence among us, as one of us, give us reason to live in hope. The light will shatter the darkness. That, can be, that we can be liberated from our fears and prejudices, that we will never be alone, that we will never be abandoned. That is the incarnation of Christ. So if you have your Bible, open it to Second Peter, begin, beginning in verse, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and most great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your truth, we once again need your spirit to move. We need the Holy Spirit to take the preached word and to apply it to all of our hearts, Father. We cannot do it. This is a work of the supernatural work of the Spirit. He alone is the one who leads us into all truth. He alone is the one who reminds us of your word. 
He alone is the one that conforms our heart to truth. We can't do it ourselves. So we need humility, Father. All of us need our pride to be broken so that we can kneel humbly before the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. So Holy Spirit, come and do what you do best. Move us closer to the heart of Christ. Christ in my prayer. Amen. In order for you to see your life as a a season of a, a constant advent of hope, peace, joy, and love, you must first have a life that is rooted in faith. A life that is rooted in faith in Christ. And this is what we see here in the, in the first few verses of, of, of Second Peter. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. See, Peter wrote this letter to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Christ. And you do not attain this faith, this righteousness apart from Christ. It's not based upon your own merit or your own morality or your own goodness. You do not attain this faith by being a culturally good Christian or talking the Christian language. You don't obtain this faith by believing certain theological ideas. This faith is attained by divine intervention and will. It's not something we initiate. Please know that. We don't initiate this. We don't pursue this. But this is something that we receive as a gift because one has shown us favor. Those who obtain this faith of of equal standing are those whose hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? The Spirit's work of, of regeneration creates in a person a new heart. And when that happens, this person receives this gift of faith. One commentator says here, it is not faith as a body of doctrine, but faith or a God-given capacity to trust him that brings a man to salvation. The work of the Spirit is important. Because people are lost. People are dead in their sins and transgressions apart from Christ. Let me put it this way. We, apart from Christ, we, we are the spiritually walking dead. Apart from Christ, we are the spiritually walking dead. Alive, but dead spiritually. Dead spiritually. And what we do is we latch on to other things to try to give us life spiritually. But those things cannot give us life. Our hearts are, are spiritually dead when it comes to God and the things of God. The world is wounded. The world is broken. And all people apart from Christ are lost in a state of sin and misery. No matter how good they look on the outside, apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. David said in Psalm 51 that he was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did his mother conceive him. In sin did his mother conceive him. We have a great need that can only be solved by a greater solution. 
And that solution is not your goodness. It's not your good works. It's not your culture. It's not your upbringing. It's not your politics. It's not your money or lack of money. It's something much greater than those things. Many of us have a a happy-go-lucky view of Christmas that that, that fails to understand its true meaning. You see, the the advent of the first Christmas is meant to, to show us that there was a solution coming for man's greatest need. Because in incarnation, your, your, the solution for our greatest need arrived in the form of a baby. Jesus entered into this wounded and broken world in order to be that greater solution. By his saving righteousness, you get this gift of salvation. It's true, the incarnation is good news. It's good news of hope. It's good news of joy and peace and love. But it was also the beginning of the humiliation of Christ. Please know that Christ coming from a baby was not, it was, it was a humiliation for him. Because he left glory. He left paradise to be found in the image of man. Humiliation. But we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor. Please know, in the incarnation, Christ became poor for you. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. All through Christ. Christmas should be a reminder of how far God the Father had to go to create peace between you and him. How far he had to go to create peace between you and him. A life that is the incarnation always has the end in mind. And that end is the cross. That end is the cross. The cross. He was born to die. Not so we can have a Christmas tree and gifts. He was born to die. Born to die. Because the cross is not far off. A life that is an advent of hope and peace and joy only comes through saving faith in Christ Jesus, the God-man. See, the Christmas spirit or, or the holiday spirit, so to speak, they can't produce this kind of life. One church father uh, Athanasius says, what then was God to do? What else could he possibly do, being God, but to renew in his image in mankind, so that through men, so that through men might once more come to know him? How could this be done? How could he renew this image in mankind? Man could not do it, for they were only made after the image. Angels couldn't do it, for they are not the image of God. The word of God came in his own person because he alone was the image of the Father who could recreate man after the image of God. That's Christ. Only Christ could do it. Only he had the power to do it. This week, people all around our country set up shop in, in front of various stores trying to get, the, get in line so they can get those Black Friday deals. Some of you probably did that yourself. 
And so people set up tents and chairs, and some people actually slept outside all week. Can you believe that? So they can get those Black Friday deals. People turn into a herd of mad shoppers. When those doors opened, man, they stormed in, pushed people out of the way, fights broke out, arguments broke out, all because of those Black Friday deals at discounted prices. This is just typical of our American culture, which creeps into the church. You see, some will use these four Sundays in December as the Black Friday Sundays of the Christian faith so that they can get hope, peace, joy, and love at discounted prices. That's what we'll do. For four weeks out of the year, I'll have a spirit of giving. For four weeks out of the year, Jesus would be the reason for the season. For four weeks out of the year, I'll come to church and hang with God's people. Please understand, there are no Black Friday Sundays in the Christian faith. Hope, peace, joy, and love are never on sale. You don't get them at a discounted price. Why? Because they were made available at a great price, and it cost a man his life. It cost a man his life. No discount. The incarnation bids you to come and die so that you may truly live. So you may truly live. In order to get a life of Advent, you have to die. You have to surrender your life to Christ in faith. Resting, depending upon him alone for salvation. That's a life that is rooted in faith. That's a life that is rooted in Christ. A life that says I have died to myself. I have died trying to make my own way to heaven. I have died trying to live by my own morality. I have died trying to earn your favor. But I have received it through Christ. The incarnation bids you come and die. Are you ready to die? You can't get hope, peace, love, and joy if you're not ready to die. If you're not ready to die, all you want is those things at a discounted price. And they don't come at a discounted price. They come if you die. Are you ready to die? Because once you die, once you receive Christ as saving faith, then you begin to experience hope, peace, joy, and love. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power is a reference to the Godhead, because this is the Trinity at work. Our Trinitarian God has freely granted uh, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through true knowledge of him. This true knowledge of him is saving faith in Christ, which we just talked about. The text says he has called us to his own glory, to his own excellence. What does that mean? It means God has called us to himself in order that we might be in relationship with him. You were created for a purpose. Do you know that? 
What is your created purpose being created in the image of God? You were created to know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. That's your purpose as a human being. To know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. He wants us to know two things about him. His own glory, his excellence. His glory is referring to his character, his person, who he is. Who is God? He is creator. He's eternal. He is faithful. He is good. He is holy. He is infinite. He is sovereign. He is merciful. He is father. That's who he is. His excellence, that's his works, his actions, his deeds. Where are his actions? He heals. He redeems. He restores. He forgives. He judges. He blesses. We are not just to know these things about God and his character. But they are to be reflected in us as well. Remember, Christ recreates the image of God in us. And the Spirit works in us that, so that we can reflect the character of God and his works in this world. So through saving knowledge of him, you get these things that pertain to life and godliness. What are these things? His precious and very great promises. What are they? They are the promises of an Advent life, hope, peace, joy, love. Do you taste them? Do your family taste them? I'm talking about in the places where you truly live. Do you taste these things? Not talking about the fakeness, not talking about showing show for me, but in the places where you live, where the places that you don't want people to see about you, do you know, do you taste Hope, love, joy, peace. You know. You know. What else has he given us? He gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. These are promises, people. He gives us mercy. He grants us freedom from the power of sin and death. Sin is no longer your master. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I should be getting some amens at this point. People, are you excited about the promise that the Father has granted to you? Or is it just sand in your hands? Which is it? These these should be more real to you than anything else in your life. Because if Christ did not come, if the incarnation did not happen, what I'm doing makes no sense at all. There is no cross without the incarnation. He had to come. He had to come. In Christ, your shame and your guilt has been taken away. That's a promise. The Spirit of God lives in you. Promise. He has lavished you with His love and affection. Promise. He has adopted you into His kingdom. Promise. We take these things for granted because we think we deserve them. Americans are entitled people. And Christians in America are entitled Christians because we think God owes us these things. He owes us hell. He owes us death. We don't appreciate them because we think we deserve them. What we really deserve is death. That's what we deserve. We really think God forgave us of a little sins. He didn't forgive you of little sins. 
Christ didn't die for little sins. He died because you were God's enemy. He died because you hated God. He didn't die because you were on the fringe. You were his enemy. That's what he died for. All of us were that. But now he made us sons and daughters through Jesus. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began to get work in you will bring it on to completion and then Christ Jesus. Promise. Promise. Romans 8, 28. He works to good all things to those who love him. Promise. If it's bad right now, guess what? God can work it to your good. Do you believe it? Promise. Romans 8, 38 says, For I'm sure that neither life nor death, angels or rulers, nor nothing present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, or anything in all creation, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. I should get amen from that. But do you believe it? That's what it means. That you never again have to work to earn his favor. He loves you. Even when you don't have a quiet time. Even when you fail to love your spouse well. Even when you fail to love your neighbor well. Guess what? His love is still over you. A promise that he's granted to you. All Christ's goodness and righteousness has been credited to you. And he's gotten all your sins. Now, to get the true impact of what Peter is saying here, that a better translation for this verb to grant would be God continues to grant these things to you throughout the rest of your life. He continues to grant these promises to you for the rest of your life. He doesn't just forgive you once, but his, his forgiveness covers past, present, and future sins. So guess what? The sins you're going to commit today it seems you're going to commit 10 years from now are covered. Do you think Jesus is surprised by the fact that you fall short? think he's surprised by the fact that you aren't perfect? We're the only ones surprised by it because we're always thinking we're getting better. Jesus is not surprised that you're but dust. He knows that you're going to struggle. And guess what? It's okay. If, if you leave here with one thing today, leave here knowing that it's okay for you to struggle. It's okay for you to fall short. Because Christ died for such people. He came for such people. Your shame and your guilt, all those things are taken away. You don't have to bear them anymore. At all. The Spirit of God is the one who effectively applies his promises to your life. The Spirit is the one who works in us to transform us into the image of Christ. That's what being partakers of the divine nature means. That God is working in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, that's not going to completely happen in this lifetime, but it's what we're moving toward. In Christ, you have escaped the corruption that is in the world. You have. 
One commentator says, eternal life is not an ideal that becomes reality when we depart from this earthly scene. On the contrary, we possess eternal life through our daily exercise of living for God and for our fellow men. Eternal life. Think about that. By obeying God's will in our life, we practice godliness and experience the possession of eternal life. This week, um, we spent Thanksgiving with my side of the family at my sister's house in Chattanooga. It was one of the best Thanksgivings uh, for me in a while. Because all my family's there, my siblings and their spouses were there, and both of my parents were there on the same roof. That hasn't happened since I was a kid, because my mom and dad are, are, are divorced. Um, but for me, it, that this week, it was a taste of what could have been if things between my mom and dad had worked out. It was a taste of what could have been. You see, in the carnation, it's not a taste of what could have been. It's a taste of what could come. Or what's to come. That's what the incarnation is for us. Not what could have been, but what is still to come. You see, Jesus, he ushered in the age of fulfillment when he came. For he himself is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. All the Old Testament prophecies were all about him. And when he came, he fulfilled all those promises and prophecies in the Old Testament. When Christ came, he brought the kingdom of God into our present age. And now we live in the already and not yet of the kingdom. David Livermore says, We have to forever hold in tension both the present and future realities of the kingdom. One without the other just isn't possible. If the kingdom is fully future, the church is without power. We might as well huddle with other Christians and isolate ourselves from all the evil people. If the kingdom is fully present, the church is without hope. Because the church is already present in Christ, you get a taste. You get a taste of the life that is to come. Not the full meal, not the full Thanksgiving meal, but a taste of it. Hope, peace, joy. Love. In Christ, you taste these things. But when he returns, but when he returns, it will be the full banquet. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in the already and not yet, we can already experience what the life to come is going to be like. It's just a taste, but I'm thankful for the taste. I'm thankful for the fact that you are at work in this world, you ain't working the lives of your people. Because the kingdom did come when you came, Lord. And you came to make all things new. You came to make all things new. And that work of redemption is in play right now. In our lives, in this world, we see the fingerprints of our God undoing the curse, undoing what the fall has done. And as your church, Lord, you use us to be a part of that work. And so, Father, I pray as we go out and, and throughout the rest of the season, help us to be mindful, Lord, of who you are in your life 
and that Christmas, this season, is really about what Christ has done. Him giving up much so that we can have much more, Lord. So that we can have newness of life. You came to give us the greatest gift of all. That is to remove the curse from us and give us everlasting life. So I pray for those who don't know you and our families that we can be salt and light to them. Give us favor, Lord, with our neighbors who don't know you, that we can show them who Christ is. Give us the boldness we need to proclaim Christ, to share the gospel. And I pray for those who are here who don't know you, that the Spirit would be tugging at their heart right now, and that they may come and die and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray for all this in your Son's name. Amen.